Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So this week, I am doing something a little different, and it's it's really an awesome episode. Um, I've never done an episode before on service animals and the difference between service animals and support animals and emotional support animals and therapeutic animals and psychiatric therapeutic animals. Um, And fortunately for me, I happen to know so many wonderful, fabulous people across this country and actually all over the world who do such fascinating things. So my friend, Rick Courtney, who is an elder law and disability attorney in Mississippi, has a specialty in this area and a special interest in this area. And he was introduced to the topic when his daughter, who is disabled, physically challenged, needed a support animal to help her do things like pick up socks um, and um, get things out of the laundry basket and, you know, various things like that. So it was an awesome conversation. I learned so much from this podcast. Tell you, if I spent the entire time just having people on the show who are talking about things that I want to learn more about, I could fill up every day of the week, every week of the year for years to come. And that is just the luck that I have of being able to to host this podcast. It's awesome. So this podcast is going to teach you all about service animals. And hopefully, like, like me, you will learn something new and we'll be able to apply it. So I can't think people like Rick enough for volunteering their time to come on this podcast. And it has been um, so fun over the last couple of months to watch the podcast numbers explode. I don't know why, uh, no rhyme or reason for it, but the podcast is going viral now, which is really great. And I can't, really thank you enough for sharing this podcast with the people in your community, the people in your circles. Please continue to do that. I'm so grateful. And if you have a minute, don't forget to rate and review. We don't have that many reviews, which is surprising to me because we have a lot of excellent feedback. And I'm really looking forward to being able to kind of jump over that next ridge 
and have this podcast go into sort of that next echelon of, I think we're in like the 1% or maybe, no, I think we're like in the 3% 3 of podcasts. I want to get to like 1% or better of podcasts in this country. And that's um, figured out by some uh, data. um, I don't know. So it's just, amazing how they take all this, all these data inputs and data points and put them together to figure out how to rank your podcast. So as fascinating as all of that is, there's other stuff going on this week that I wanted to share with you. And I'm hoping to do an update soon, actually. Um, We are in the midst of uh, the president's budget being released last week. And that was for fiscal year 23 which is kind of insane because they just finished fiscal year 22. Um, And we will see where that budget goes and what the back and forth will be about that. Um, In addition, we're still waiting to hear back on a few social security issues that are out there and bouncing around and haven't been decided yet. One of them namely is the issue that the in-kind support and maintenance will no longer count food So that comes up more often than you would think. We've got beneficiaries of our trust who would really like to um, have the trust pay for their food. And we can't do that right now because it will reduce their their benefit even further. So things have gotten crazy, so expensive with the inflation that we are feeling. And no, it, it doesn't impact anyone more than folks in the in you know the lowest income brackets, and that's our people who live on public benefits. So they are struggling to take their dollars and make ends meet, and they just can't. They they don't get enough money in their food stamps. They don't get enough money. Um, for rent, they don't get enough money for social security to be able to actually live even at poverty, poverty level. They're way below poverty level and struggling to get by. And when you handcuff the trustees of the special needs trust, which by the way, were set up to supplement what people cannot cover with their basic necessities, their basic income coming in from public benefits, This is exactly why a supplemental needs trust exists. And we should be able to use our trust dollars to support and supplement where people are just not making it. So that's my soapbox. And I'm going to turn this on to a happier topic of having Rick talk to us about service animals. So fun. Thank you so much. And here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Today, I am very excited that I'm with my friend, Rick Courtney, who is an attorney in um, Mississippi, and he is an elder law attorney, a special needs attorney, and he's also a parent like me. So it has been so much fun serving on committees with Rick. And when he gave a talk about this subject matter, therapy animals versus um, 
service animals, I was riveted, fascinated. So I couldn't wait to have him on the show. Welcome, Rick. Thanks for coming. Good morning and delighted to be with you, Annette. So this topic has um, really touched me a lot. I, I've never, I never had a service animal for my daughter, Elizabeth, but we had considered it at one point and started looking into it. And I have to say, it's a little confusing trying to figure things out. I also have a dog for myself for some of my diagnoses and you know, trying to figure out what category she's in for hotels and restaurants and and uh, flying. You know, everybody seems to have different rules and different approaches. So I'm really glad that you're going to demystify this for us today. Where do we start, Rick? What, what, what do we start talking about? You know, what's the beginning here? Well, there are different types of animals so far as the law goes. And so that's where we start, uh, and I guess starting with what people are generally familiar with, pets. Pets mm-hmm. are our friends, and they are our helpers in a lot of respects, uh, but they don't have legal rights, you know, that some animals do. And then there are emotional support animals that have some additional training and skills and abilities, and I'll tell you, I don't understand how dogs or animal, other animals have the uh, intuitive uh, abilities they have, but some are just meant to do these things and they find their way to the right people. Um, uh, Emotional support animals can provide emotional support uh, for people in times of uh, crisis or emotional um, instabilities. And so, you know, that's a, a great service that they provide They're not generally recognized as having legal access to a lot of places that service animals are considered. So then there's that term I used, uh, service or assistance animals. And in federal law, and most states, I think, have similar laws, a service animal or uh, assistance animal is one that is specifically trained to assist someone with a disability in some activities uh, and personal things that that person may need to do. Well, I think people think of seeing eye dogs immediately as one of those. Mm-hmm. There are uh, seizure alert animals, those that are trained to detect chemical imbalances a person may have uh, before a seizure and can help notify, can tell that person what bumped them and say, you're, you're getting near a seizure and you need to sit down. Yeah, isn't that amazing? That's just incredible. Yeah, it is. My, our personal experience in our home is I have twin daughters. They're 43 years old now. And Melanie has cerebral palsy. She's a wheelchair user uh, and has some uh, other issues that go along with, with her cerebral palsy. Her sister does not have any of those challenges. But we started looking when Melanie was uh, in high school. Uh, about a, a service animal to help her because there are things she drops that she can't pick up. There are yeah. things she can't reach to open it. She can't reach in the back of a clothes hamper to get her last sock out of the clothes, dirty clothes hamper, you know. So we thought that would be helpful for her. We tried self-training a golden retriever. That dog was just a little bit too energetic to be a <laughs> service dog for her. <laughs> 
And so that didn't work, but she later um, applied for, and in 2007, she got a skilled service dog through Canine Companions for Independence. CCI is the short you know, initials for that uh-huh. organization. And they, they're nationwide, and they train service dogs to help people. So she's had a service dog since 2007. She uh, has her second one now. And that dog is specifically trained with lots of commands she can give the dog to do things, to open and close doors or drawers. They're taught to pull things open or push them closed, to push a push plate on an automatic door. Mm-hmm. Her, her dog can do that. Wow. And, and can slither up into the clothes hamper to get that last sock out. <laughs> so it's been and a great help for Melanie. That's a great overview. Are there specific kinds of dogs that the trainers tend to, um, you know, tend to gravitate to? Generally speaking, most of the service dogs that we see or have seen with organizations that train them are Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers. And then, of course, everyone knows that uh, German Shepherd dogs are uh, have been favorites for seeing our guide dogs for a long time. but then there are the hearing alert dogs for deaf people uh, mm-hmm. that are trained to alert to a doorbell or a telephone ringing and notif- and go alert their uh, owner about that. They don't. They can be other breeds, as you might imagine. A smaller indoor dog living in an apartment with someone uh, could be a smaller dog that is trained to do that hearing alert. Um, type activity. So, but mostly they're golden and Labrador retrievers just because of the work ethic and the the trainability that those dogs seem to have. That's awesome. Um, I hear the term therapy animal or therapy dog a lot. Is that the same or different than a service animal or an emotional support animal? That's a different category. And I have one that I'm particularly fond of. Um, a therapy animal is one that does not have the legal right to accompany an individual into all types of public transportation or accommodation or facilities. That's what a service animal can do. But a therapy animal is one that has some training and ability to give affection to people in need uh, and to provide uh, just a, an interaction with people that can distract from problems. You People probably have heard of uh, mass disasters where there's been an earthquake or they bring or, or a, a school event after a tragedy and they bring therapy animals in, a dog that the, the students or the people who are there who lost things uh, can just focus their attention on the dog. Yeah. Kind of distract their mind from those other troubling aspects of their life at that point. And I tell people, I, I had a therapy dog too. At one point, we had um, two big dogs. My daughter's Labrador Retriever assistance dog that was hers to use, you know, for the activity she needed the dog to perform for her. And then I had my golden retriever named Gus. He was a therapy dog. And I took him through training and made sure he was calm in all circumstances and could be around noises and children and all kind of things. 
he was wonderful. We'd take him to the library and families of children with autism disorder would bring their kids and they would be very standoffish, you know, from people. Their social interaction skills were really narrow. But with the dogs, they would tend to get closer to the dogs and they would come up and actually start to learn to pet them. And then they would talk to them. And then the parents went, wow, this is great, you know. But that's because we were invited to bring our dog. A therapy dog can go where they're invited to come, but they don't have a legal right to go into a library or a church or a restaurant or on a bus. Service animals have that legal right to accompany their uh, handler on the, in those areas. Well, that's fascinating. But an emotional support animal may or may not have training, but a therapy dog definitely has special training, right? Well, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Uh, there are organizations around and all over that that help train therapy dogs. Uh, there are There's Therapy Dog International, which is an organization that certifies uh, through trainers throughout the country that certified this person is this dog is trained for therapy work and can be uh, relied upon to not be wild and not jump on people and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, have good handling. Uh, Love on a Leash out of California was the organization that I got Gus certified as a therapy dog through. Okay. Dog training here. But I think actually, Annette, a dog that is proven to have the temperament and the calmness and the ability to give and receive affection. That's what I tell people, you know, they come up, said, oh, John, little Johnny, don't pet the dog. He's got a vest on. You know, Gus had a vest. And they said, don't pet the dog. He's working. I says, no, ma'am. He's not a working or assistance dog. This is my therapy dog. His job is to give and receive affection. His job Mm -hmm. is to get petted. So let little Johnny come on and and rub. I love it. I love it. That's great. Make little Johnny happy, you know, and say, oh, well, that's great. So I don't know that therapy dogs, in order to go to a nursing home or an assisted living facility or a senior apartment or a disability walk where there are children with disabilities, if it's a dog that has the temperament And the uh, organization that's putting on these things or the facility says, well, yeah, bring that dog on. I think it could be considered a therapy dog, you know, at that point. Other people, not just one person. You you say you have an an emotional support animal or support animal. Mm -hmm. That dog's really responsible toward you, not other people. Right, right. The service dog is responsible for her, not other people, to do what she needs. A therapy dog is outward directed. It's something that I, as the handler, would have him provide, uh, you know, therapy services like affection uh, to other people, not to me. So that's the distinction, I think. Okay. Okay. That's really that's really cool. Um, And, you know, it's great to get clarity around this stuff because people ask these questions all the time. And, you know, like I said, I have my own stuff going on since my daughter passed away. I've had a lot of um, trauma, you know, PTSD, and I have an anxiety diagnosis that goes along with that. 
And the dog that I have now, when she senses me kind of getting out of control, will come and kind of sit on me mm-hmm. and just stay and, and lick me and just sit there until I'm better, you know? Um, so it's interesting. She never had any training to do that, but it was her instinct and connection to do that. She does that with my daughter, Caroline, too. When Caroline's starting to freak out. Um, and I know not all dogs are like that. You know, not all dogs have that nature. Yeah. Melanie's service dog is a 90 pound I'm sorry, he's about an 80-pound yellow Labrador retriever named Turk. And he can pick up things, push, push, play, those same physical assistance that Melanie may need from him to help her navigate uh, the day-to-day activities. But another advantage or benefit that he provides to her, Melanie has some anxiety, OCD issues, Mm -hmm. and things related to her cerebral palsy and the the brain effects from that condition. Sure. Uh, she's got some startle type things where things startle her more. She's more sensitive to changes around her. Well, mm-hmm. Turk provides two benefits there. He is a calming influence for her when she takes him to the doctor to get a shot. And she doesn't want to get the shot, but she needs to get the shot. You know, she takes Turk in with her and the doctor and his uh-huh. nurses all love to see Turk come. Uh, she says, yes, you can pet my dog, and then they are allowed to pet him, but otherwise he's working and nobody gets to fool with him. But yeah. then he is there, and she can just kind of put her hand on him right there by her wheelchair, and it's calming for her. The other thing that she told us way back when we first got her dog in 2007, she said, Dad, Mom, you know, in a wheelchair, people used to come by and look at me, and they would ask you a question about me. And they were kind of wouldn't talk to me as much. Mm-hmm. Now they'll ask me, oh, that's a beautiful dog. Where did you get him? And she says, I get to engage in conversation. Oh, that's is a social interaction tool for her as well. The animal sort of lightens that social interaction awkwardness people may feel around a person with a disability. Now there's something. Sure. Yeah. So she likes it's- that. So that's bridging the gap. And um, just to stay on this uh, track about your daughter, Melanie, she um, takes the dog, to, she takes Turk to work with her, right? Yes. And Turk assists her at work also. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, he's got a bed right under her desk. And uh, <laughs> so she takes, she works three mornings a week in our law firm. And uh, she takes him and puts him on a bed command. That means he stays on the bed until she tells him to get up. And he stays there during the morning, watches what's going on around. But he's he's calm and uh, able to do that until she's ready to leave. And then if if she needs something picked up, and I had heard her drop something, you know, a stapler falls off the desk. And I've heard her say, Turk, here. And she he said, okay, he's up off the bed. She says, get and he picks up whatever it is she dropped on the floor and cool. give and he lets go of it in her hand. And so, you know, those commands that they're taught are helpful for her. And, and uh, he stays there and then he's ready to go home. And once his vest and his collar come off, he's just a dog at home. So he mm-hmm. gets to play with our other little dog, our little uh, golden our labradoodle that we have, that's my wife's pet. 
they played together and romped. So uh, he has a dog's life, but he's a worker when he's got his vest and his collar on. Wow, that's awesome. It's yeah. just, it's fostering so much independence for her. Yeah, yeah. And in my uh, special needs practice, as I know you probably are familiar with, uh, there are clients we've encouraged, well, look into an animal, a service animal for your child with a disability uh, who may need some assistance that they don't want to keep calling mom or dad to come do things for them. They may get more independence with an animal, but also their responsibilities. You have to think who's going to feed the dog, who's going to bathe and groom the animal. And can the person actually give them the tr- direction they need? physically and verbally when they need to be told to do something or corrected from doing the wrong thing. So um, the, uh, the, you know, we, we've uh, actually had clients that we encourage to do that. And then um, they, they find out that it's a great experience for their family member with a disability. Yeah, I've got the list here that you gave me about all the benefits of service animals, and there's a lot of them, but increased responsibility was on that list. I love that. Um, so it serves as an icebreaker in social situations. We talked about that. Improved speech and self-esteem. Can we talk about that for a second? Oh, yeah. I'll give a, I'll give a little experience we had when I took my therapy dog to... Um, to the library, there were children with autism, and one little girl particularly uh, wouldn't talk to anyone. She wouldn't get near anyone. She and, and so I've had Gus down on the floor, and uh, she would just walk by, and I would say, "You want to touch him? You want to touch him?" Well, no, she wouldn't get anywhere near us um, for the first two or three weeks that we were there every Saturday. Wow! And Saturday morning, she started to walk past. And she kind of looked at him. I said, touch him? And I turned him where his head was away from her. So she couldn't see his teeth. And big golden <laughs> trigger. But his big plumy tail, I could wave it back and forth. And it just kind of swirled, you know. And I said, just come, come touch him. Well, she got closer over the weeks. And it took several, several weeks, months to get this done. And one time she walked by and she just reached down and just kind of punched him with her fingers and said, Gus. Well, her parents went crazy because she had not talked to animals or done that before. She said his name, and her mom said, "Johnny, did you hear that?" She said his name. Well, in a little, in I'll just go to the end of the story. After just a few more weeks, she was laying across my legs with her both hands on Gus's back, scratching, rubbing him, massaging his back. Wow. Just amazed at the transformation because of the dog didn't present any kind of threat or intimidation for her. Once she got comfortable with the fact that he's just there, he's there when I talk to him or when I don't talk to him. He's there when I touch him or don't touch him. He's there anytime I need him. And that's what became comfortable for her. And so she got comfortable with him. Now, a service animal your question can provide the same kinds of benefits Mm. a person with a disability who's had some difficulties with speech or cognitive issues 
learns to talk to that animal when they may not feel a comfort level trying to express themselves to other people because the dog or a, another type of animal doesn't doesn't judge them for expressing themselves in awkward ways. Yeah. So what other kinds of animals are there out there? I know that service animals are mostly dogs, but yes. they're, I mean, I've heard stories about monkeys and miniature horses and different things like that. So what, what other animals are, are common or maybe not so common, but are out there? Well, because of the, some of the issues with people trying to say, well, I have, a, I remember a, a peacock that was brought on an airplane some in the last year, two or three years, you know, and someone said, this is my emotional support peacock. Yeah. Well, that, that sort of presented a problem for the airline. And so I think under federal law, service animal now means a dog for purposes of carrying on an airplane with an individual with disability. It means a dog that has been trained to do something for that person. Um, other animals may be allowed in public housing, depending on the housing rules of that state. Um, but you're right. There has been one organization called Helping Hands. It was capuchin monkeys that were trained to provide services for people who had dexterity or physical challenges. They could not get to a, they couldn't pick up a telephone. Uh, and the monkeys were trained to get a telephone and bring it to them and, and open a door or, uh, you know, do turn on lights and that sort of thing. Well, that organization has discontinued its work last year. I think I learned this in the preparing for that uh, Nayla talk we did. Uh, and so they discontinued that work, and now they're just focused on providing retirement services for the monkeys that were already out there. That had oh, cool. People, <laughs> trying to make sure they have a comfortable retirement. There have been um, sir, horses, horses for the handicapped. Is a, that's an organization where people are taking um, riding equestrian benefits. You know, to put a have a person with disability, a physical disability, get on a horse and ride a horse. But there have been uh, miniature horses used as uh, support animals and assistance animals for people with. Uh, maybe uh, dis uh, physical disabilities, mobility issues where they needed an animal that is sturdy mm -hmm. and the right size to be able to hold on to, not to fall or to, to move about, um, not riding the horse, but a small horse instead of a, a large dog. Sure. Don't hear about those that much, but um, they're, you know, service animals are generally considered dogs these days, and those are the ones that have the rights to go with the individual. So you and I talked um, previously about what happens to animals that can't do their jobs anymore. Can we just chat about that for a minute? I mean, and, and I guess we can kind of just talk about dogs at this point. Yeah, so sure. when, a, when a dog gets too sick or too old and can't perform its job, what happens? Right. Melanie's illustration was back in 2007. She got her first canine companions for independence dog. Maydeen was her name, a black lab. 
She was two years old, had been fully trained with all the commands, and we went down to their Orlando facility for two weeks, lived in their dorm free of charge. The dog didn't cost anything. Uh, And so if people are interested in checking it out, it's cci.org is their website. But um, Or now I think it's canine.org. They've changed their name, canine.org, I believe, just recently. And so uh, they had trained the dog. Well, we got her. She was two years old. In 2016, uh, she had developed uh, kidney disease in her latter years, and she had gotten where she was tired, not really wanting to work as quickly and do things. And we noted that issue with her behavior, her working behavior, and got her diagnosed. Said, yeah, she's got kidney disease. She's just not feeling great anymore. So Melanie applied with a, for a, a successor dog, but uh, they gave us the opportunity to keep Maydeen as a pet because CCI owns their dog. They own Turk right now. Melanie, okay. We don't own her service dog that's been with her since 2016. And so Maydeen, uh, they do because if there was a problem with the behavior or uh, her handling, if she was overfeeding and he's getting too overweight, they'll take the dog back just to make sure the dog stays healthy and and able to do what he needs to do and that she's able to handle him well. But when the dog is retiring from that service, they give the owner, the handler, an opportunity to keep the dog if we wanted to. And we said, yes, we would. We kept her for a few more months after Turk came and and then she passed away at the end of 2016, but we got him in July of 2016. So we had her her prior dog and a successor dog in the house at the same time, and, and she passed away. A lot of times when the dogs uh, retire out of service, they're out. If we didn't want her, if we had said, no, we're not going to take her, they would have tried to outplace her in an adoption out program. So oh. People, well, this dog's been trained and. You know, this dog's going to be easy to handle. And, and a lot of the dogs that may not make it through the training program with CCI, for instance, and that's the only organization I have knowledge with, mm-hmm. they have a dog that doesn't make it through the training process to become a certified, a, an assistance dog, a service dog, then they may adopt that dog out to other people through um rescue or adoption agencies and, and they find a good home as a pet for someone, but they're a really well-trained pet by that time. Wow. That's, that's really great. Yeah. I, I'm really glad to hear that when they flunk out of school, <laughs> they yeah. still have someplace to go. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, I'm so sorry about the loss of Maydeen. Dogs are just put on this earth to break our hearts. I swear, you know? Yeah. Gus, my therapy dog, uh, he, he was born in 2003, and he died a month after Maydeen in 2016. We had two oh. dogs and our new, and Turk, or her new service dog, we had all three big dogs in the house for several months as, the, as those two reached the end of their life, and they were uh, well treated and had a good life. But, you know, as you say, dogs don't last forever, and uh, they're... they're we just figure all all dogs go to heaven, you know. Yes, they do. <laughs> They're so pure of heart. 
Um, I want to dig in just for a few minutes. Uh, we're kind of running low on time here, but let's get real specific about the ADA access and protections. So that's for the service animals only. And um, it's, I've heard that, you know, you can only ask the two questions, right? And what does that mean for people? So when you enter into a public space mm-hmm. with your dog, um, I'm just saying dog because, you know, it's mostly dogs, then um, you have some protections there. You as a person with a disability, and as you mentioned earlier, the dog has rights and access. <laughs> so that's interesting. So what are those two questions that a store owner or a restaurant manager can ask? Well, I think they can ask, um, is this a, um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head here. Uh, do so you, they, don't have, they don't have to show proof, first and foremost. That's right. Um, do you have a disability and is the dog trained to provide well yeah I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember those things all of a sudden my, my mind you might have the notes there in front of you yeah um, it's it's um you know do you have a disability and does this animal provide a service to you yeah and, and they, they can't ask what service and they can't ask what disability yeah, I think they can ask, uh, what does the dog do for you? They can't ask okay. what your disability is, and they, um, but they can ask, what does the dog do for you? That's right. You and I talked about that, and then we said, hey, but there are some disabilities which, if you, you don't say the disability, but then you tell what the dog does for you, then somebody's going to know what your disability is. So. Yeah. If it's a dog who um, who uh, detects low blood sugar, for example, or high blood sugars or whatever, a diabetic, you know, um, issue, then if you say that, then somebody's going to know that you have diabetes. So you, in effect, you still are outing yourself and your disability. So it's not a perfect system, right, Rick? Right. That's right. And in fact, we have had a situation or two where. Melanie takes Turk to a restaurant that is a, say, a culturally diverse, a Thai restaurant or a Japanese restaurant. And those owners of that facility are not as uh, conversant with uh, the dog rights and stuff here. And they feel uncomfortable. And then they say, I'm sorry, we can't, we don't have pets here. Well, this is not a pet. This is a service dog. And not, he is uh, entitled to go with me by law into any public place. Well, I'm sorry, we don't do that. I mean, you can have those uh, incidents happen. And it's just a matter of how you deal with them. And I know CCI in the training for people when they get their dog, they tell them, look, don't become combative. Don't become antagonistic. We don't want that kind of reputation as for people that have our dogs to that are just trying to be ornery about it. But, um, you know, try to assert your rights. And there, the dog has a certification card, an identification card that you can show. 
But if you get somebody that's just going to be adamant about, no, we're not going to allow that animal in here, then you may just need to back off and, and go get someone to advocate for you if there's a problem with that. But, you know, like you say, it's not a perfect system always. And let's talk about wearing vests. So vests are not required, right? That's right. To identify the dog. But some people do get them and put them on. Does that help? It has for us, I believe, because then people can identify that this is a service animal. um, And they're more likely to not consider the dog a pet you know, that you're just out walking with, but this dog's dressed up, ready to work. You know, they're, they're with this person and so they've got the, the attire on. Now, as you and I talked about in our other com- conversation, um, you can buy vests online. I mean, people do that and they'll put maybe a service animal vest on a dog that's not trained to be a service animal, just trying to get by with taking them places. That's not right, but that's the way it works sometimes and it makes it harder for you know, facility and owners and um, businesses to navigate. And well, how do we handle this? Because we're not really sure if this is a bona fide service dog or not. And they, the last one that came in was jumping on people and they had a vest on too. So, right. That, so that's such a good point, Rick, because notwithstanding your rights under the ADA, you still can be asked to leave if your dog or your animal is not acting appropriately for the setting, like barking or mm-hmm. um, is not well-behaved and staying with the person they're supposed to be working with. So um, have you have you seen any situations like that? We haven't. Uh, I haven't seen any. Um, I mean, I've read cases where... Uh, a dog was uh, had you know acted out, not used good behavior, and then they were asked to leave. And uh, someone says, "Well, I have a right to have the dog here." No, not if the dog is not uh, complying with the behavior needed to be in that setting, you know, without creating problems. A dog can't go into a setting and create problems, even if they're a, a service dog. So. So um, let's just talk for the last few minutes about housing access, because the housing rules under FHA are different than, say, uh, for example, you're just going into the mall or going to a restaurant. And then even further after that, let's chat about the airlines, because that's changed recently. So under the Fair Housing Act, how is a person with a disability protected um, regarding their animal? Well, Fair Housing Act says landlords must make reasonable accommodations. That's the terminology. Uh, reasonable accommodations to allow a person living in their facilities re- the equal access and enjoyment of the facilities. For a person who needs an animal for their day-to-day activities or help, then that to allow them equal access and enjoyment may mean allowing the animal in and a reasonable accommodation for that. Mm-hmm. And and one way that can be accomplished is if that, you know, housing uh, in facility has a no pets rule or they have a pet deposit that's pretty high, they um, 
may waive those. That could be a reasonable accommodation to say, well, if your dog is a service animal for you or even an emotional support animal for you, uh, then we're going to waive that no pets rule. We're going to waive that high pet deposit because we're not going to treat them as an, a pet. We're going to treat them as uh, an animal that you need in order to uh, equally enjoy this facility where you live. So apartment buildings that charge a monthly fee on top of your rent for the dog, that could be waived. Does it have to be waived? No, I don't think they have to waive it, but that could be a reasonable accommodation. And it's a fact-specific determination, I think, as to whether an accommodation by a housing authority for a, a support or service or emotional support animal is reasonable, you know, oh. are they being reasonable in how they allow this animal to be there as well? Maybe that doesn't mean waiving the um, cost that they would impose, but maybe it does and say, well, we're, we're not going to charge a pet fee for this animal that's really not a pet. It's a, a service or support animal. How do I get my dog registered as an emotional support animal? says me and 500,000 other clients. Right. I, I don't know of a <laughs> registration organization for that, you know, for that level of uh, animals, emotional support animals. Um, but you have to beware because there's a lot of websites out there. If you start looking around on Google, you know, and you ask that question, you're going to find a lot of organizations that'll be happy to take your money and um, get you a letter from a doctor or, you know, some kind of like stickers or a vest or something, but there's no official registration. That's what I was trying to get Rick to say. Yeah. Well, that's why I, well, I said, I didn't know of one. So I guess I'll say there's not one. If, if a next, there's, there's not one, I'll say there's not one. <laughs> there's not one right now, but it would make sense. I mean, so Rick and I, we talked about this the last time, like, wouldn't it make sense if there really was some kind of overall registration process so that you know what type of dog it is and people can determine in public settings, you know, how to accommodate or not to accommodate. Um, but, you know, I guess there's been a lot of conversation about you know, violations of civil rights and things like that. So it's kind of hard to come up with a solution. I do think that it would be better to have a card that says this has been certified as a service animal. And now I don't have to explain my disability to anybody. Right. That's true. And I mean, one area where this has been problematic is air travel that you mentioned a minute ago. Yes. And so that brings, that's a good segue to that. Um, in 2020, airlines had trouble deciding, well, is this dog a support or service animal, or is it just a pet someone is trying to say is a support or service animal, and then it's not really uh, that category. In 2020, Air, the um, Air Carrier Access Act, federal law, was updated to say that now an individually trained service dog, and they limit it to dog now, for the airline travel, uh, in, and it includes a psychiatric service dog, one that is uh, to provide PTSD support or that sort of thing. 
but they they said we're no longer including emotional support animals who aren't serve trained service dogs in uh, airline travel uh, entitlement now. So the airlines can require forms up to 48 mm-hmm. hours, you know, prior to flying that attest to how the service, this animal was trained as a service animal and their health and behavior and training. So they're trying to get uh, the airlines are trying to, you know, deal with that, that problem, that, that difficulty of assessing all this. In, in a way that they've just become more regimented in the rules. Yeah, therefore they won't have miniature horses walking onto their planes anymore. That's which right, or, emotion, or emotional support peacocks. That's right. Yes. So, um, but regarding airlines, your dog, no matter how big, still has to be able to fit under the seat in front of you. Isn't that correct? That's right. They don't get to have an extra seat just because they're your support dog. I mean, Uh, they have to fit in the area uh, arranged for your your accommodations in the airplane. And so they have to fit under the seat or you have to, you know, put them in some other kind of travel thing. But most most people with disabilities are not going to have their dog transported in a crate in the cargo area. Right. And if your dog can't sit under the seat quietly, then they're probably not a trained service animal, right? Right. Uh, yeah, that, I would say so. Okay, last but not least, when you have a special needs trust and you're dealing with animals, um, can you can you use the trust to pay for and support the animal's care and well-being? Sure can. And uh, a lot of our special needs trusts have the provisions in them that that relate to that, that said if there's a service animal or even emotional support animal, that those costs of, of veterinary care, feeding and maintenance of the animal can be uh, paid for from that trust because it's for the benefit of that beneficiary to have that animal. Uh, so, yes, the, the trust can pay for training and housing and maintenance and um like I say, veterinary and food bills and medical supplies for the animal. Um, and in, and also uh, is tax deductible in some respects. Um, the medical expenses, for instance, uh, it, for a person, the taxes, and I'm getting into a tax area here for a second. As we know, medical expenses may be deductible for me. If I have medical expense, Uh, to the extent they exceed a certain percentage of my overall income. Well, can I treat that that service dog as a medical expense? Our tax law regulations say yes. Um, medical expenses are deductible if they're primarily for prevention or alleviation of a physical or mental defect or illness. Capital expenditures, that is paying for things, uh, if for medical care, are deductible. And one of the illustrations or thing, items that they list in the regulation, it says such as a seeing eye dog. Mm-hmm. So the tax regulations acknowledge that an assistance dog may be a capital expenditure for someone that is medical related 
And it goes on and says expenditures for the operation or maintenance of that capital asset. And I've got to go tell Turk, he's a capital asset for Melvin. <laughs> um, expenditures for the operation or maintenance of a capital asset for medical care are deductible. Now, I'm not telling anyone that's listening to this that their uh, expenses for their service dog are deductible. This is not legal advice, as that's right. Said, but it is just telling them there is a um, tax regulation that might might make for certain people the expenses they pay for a service animal uh, deductible as a medical expense, and that's something they would talk about with their tax preparer. Fascinating. And it is tax time. So it's good that you bring that up. Is there any need to provide in your trust for ongoing care for the dog if the person with the disability passes away? Like who who gets the dog? Who owns the dog? Yeah, it's a good idea because, I mean, otherwise it could be just a toss up or it could be a fight among family members. Well, I'm going to get the dog that was, you know, my sister's dog or whoever. Um, That should be spelled out. If uh, certainly if Melanie, if, if she wants someone else to have Turk after you know she passed away, that needs to be clarified in her will, mm. trust, and say you know here's who would get Turk. Now again, yeah. in the CCI context, she doesn't own him; they would take him back. Right, right. They'd adopt him out for the rest of his life if he's nearing retirement, or they would place him with someone who still needs a service dog and he's already trained to, to do things. So um, incredible. And that, that um, surface animal did not cost you anything and the training didn't cost you anything. It was just the cost for yourself to get yourselves down there to, right. to be there for two weeks. Right. That's right. CCI is kind of the oldest uh, service animal training program in the country. And they are funded by donations and by grants from different things like SeaWorld in Orlando helps fund the CCI campus down there for several southeastern states. Uh, the Charles Schultz the Peanuts Comic Strip Foundation yeah. helps fund them as well. So they've got great facilities. They, they don't charge anything to the consumer for the dog that you get, but there's a lot of money invested in that dog whenever you get them. And mm. uh, they say there's about $50,000 of care and medical care and training and all that in the animals when they place them with someone when they're wow. two years old. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a lot. I never thought it would cost that much. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. They, they, they have the dogs bred in California. That's where all their puppies are bred. And then they, when they're eight weeks old, they leave their mamas and they go all over the country to volunteers who raise them for about 12 to 14 months as volunteer puppy raisers. And Maydeen was raised by a veterinarian and his wife and two sons in um, Jacksonville, Florida, until she was ready to go with Melanie in 2007. She was their first dog to raise as puppy raiser volunteers. Mm. They had such a good experience with that and meeting Melanie and seeing what a change Maydeen made for her. They're now raising their 10th dog for CCI. They, they turn one in and got a new one. And so they're raising their 10th dog. Turk was raised by a couple in Orlando who have no children, but she is now raising, they are now raising their, I think, 21st dog. For wow. The eye. Yeah. These people put a year, over a year at their expense, vet care, 
the veterinarian and his wife took Nadine flying to Vail, Colorado for a ski trip with the family, put her in there, flew her out there with them, took her to the theater, took her to church. They like to say she would snore under the pew. (laughs) Wow. Around would chuckle and start snoring under the pew. Uh, I'm sorry. No, they just totally socialize them and get them ready. And then they're placed uh, with people. And then now we have to. So that raises another question. You know how fierce the animal rights activists can be, especially about, you know, puppy mills, raising dogs, breeding dogs just to have puppies to do this work. Have there been any um, complaints or problems in that regard that you know of? Not that I know of towards CCI or there are other uh, organizations. I know there's a, a service dog organization in Georgia that my daughter applied for for a little bit before she was told by the CCI that they were going to put her on the list. Uh, she had applied at another place. I'm trying to remember the name of that organization in Atlanta. I don't. But I haven't heard of any complaints against those because they they take such good care of these dogs. They are well groomed and their health is excellent and they are placed into uh, homes where they're overseen and, and mm-hmm. make sure they've got a good life. So um, I don't know that's, any complaints by activists about these animals. That's great. That's fantastic. Okay. I went way over my time. I love this subject. It's so fascinating. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you or any last words of advice that you want to give to a family or an individual who is considering getting a dog? Well, all dogs need a job. That's been our explanation. You know, if you get a dog, it's always great to give them some training, basic obedience training and things as a pet to start. Mm -hmm. And a person with a disability, a child or an adult can really benefit from that interaction with the animal and develop a bond with them, even if they're not an emotional support animal or a service animal. A a pet that's got good training and and can develop a bond with that person is going to be very worthwhile. Then decide if you want to go forward and okay, we're going to have a dog as a therapy dog. I'm going to train my animal to go out and and give some love and affection to some children or adults in whatever settings we go. And then um, the service animal would be the next step up and decide if you want to make the commitment to having an animal that's really going to help a person with physical or psychiatric or uh, you know disability needs that they might have. But that- it, that's great. That That's uh, really great advice. And I am going to make the article that Rick wrote um, available. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Fascinating. And Rick also has a book out. He's got a, a book for attorneys in this field um, mm-hmm. as a guide. And also he's got a guidebook for families as well on his website. So we're going to put all of that information in the show notes so that you can reach out to Rick and connect with him. I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Rick. It's been so fun. It has been, Annette. Thank you. And thanks to all the folks that listen. Well, it's really great to see you. And I'll be uh, talking to you in our committee meetings. So thank you you so much. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. 
I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.